So, there are different types of hearing. Growing up as a teenager, I remember sitting in church, and I would sit in hour, 30-minute, hour-long sermons, <clears throat> but I wasn't really listening. I was kind of there, space cadet, maybe I was thinking about hobbies, interests, going over basketball or football rosters in my mind, playing video games in my head, or looking forward to them when we got home. I think of my Papa Brian when I think of a different type of hearing. He had this thing called selective hearing. It was really good at it. He could, he could hear you when he wanted to hear you sometimes. But at times, my grandma would be angry with him, and all of a sudden he couldn't hear, or his, you know, his hearing aids would malfunction as she would yell across the house, and he would just kind of sit there in bliss, uh, not being able to hear. Now, I was thinking about different types of hearing, uh, and that time that you're with your friend or you're with a loved one. And for that first time, or for maybe you've been misunderstood in the past, but with that person, you feel heard. You feel seen. You're, they truly understand you. and they, they, You feel cared for. Some others hear, but maybe they don't perceive. Maybe they don't truly listen. So today, as we're thinking about our hearing... One of the most famous and well-known parables of Jesus we're going to be looking at. It's the parable of the soils, or the parable of the sower. Jesus says in verse 18 of chapter 8 of Luke, He says, take care then how you hear. Take care then how you hear. And so, we're a people of the Word. Every one of us. We, we, we plant this church on knowing that it is God that will give the increase. We preach through God's Word weekly, letting it set the agenda for what we do. We sing the Word of God. We preach the Word of God. We, we pray the Word of God. Because we are a people of the Word. But I wonder, how often do we think about our responsibility to hear? It's a vital importance. It's a matter of eternity in how you hear this message today. Let's pray that God would give us ears to hear. Dear Lord, we need your help. We can hear your word as dry and dusty bones and have no life. God, but your word rightly heard is going to give increase. Your word rightly heard will transform lives. And so I just pray this morning, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. All the distractions, all the ways in which our mind hops here and goes there and we're thinking about what is to come, Lord, help us to be in this present moment and to hear the word that you have for us. I pray that the sermon heard will be better than the sermon preached. In your name we pray. Amen. So, last week, we saw soon after a feast at Simon the Pharisee's house, there was a woman who was forgiven much. She loved much because she was forgiven much. And now we see Jesus soon afterward. He's left this dinner. He's left this party. And now he's going through the cities and villages. And he's an itinerant preacher. And he's going around preaching the Word of God. And so much attention is given 
to Jesus' miracles and his healings. And we give a lot of emphasis to this, rightly so. But something that we see here is something he did wherever he went, and that is he preached. In verse 1, he proclaimed and was bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. We're in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 1. He was preaching. These verses, they serve as a summary of Jesus' earthly ministry. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God. And as his church, we get our example from Christ and how we are to operate. We're to be faithful to proclaim this same good news. And so Jesus did this. We see that he was with his disciples. And there was also a mention of, of women. And of all the gospel accounts, this is unique to Luke. Verse 2, And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. In these few verses, the importance of them here is we see a glimpse into the great role that women played in the furthering of the kingdom, in their support of Jesus' ministry. It's unknown at this time for women to travel with rabbis. That would not be accepted or socially accepted. But Jesus has this radical, inclusive fellowship. These women, they belong to the nucleus, to the the heart of Jesus' ministry as he's going forth. These women, we see that one of them had been possessed by demons, maybe many of them. They're, They're walking, living, breathing testimonies to the good news of what Jesus has done. They are, they are slaves, captives of sin and de- demonic possession that have been liberated and now are walking to share this good news with the disciples, with Jesus, helping spread this message. And not only did these women travel for him, travel with him, they provided generously out of, out of their financial support for the work of the ministry, just as God's people support the, war, the ministry of the Word today. We have this partnership in the Gospel, a responsibility for supporting uh, the ministry of the Word in our neighborhood, in our city, and beyond. And so it's in this time that a crowd began to gather. And this is a, this is a group of misfits, right? We know, we know the disciples. We got fishermen in there. We got a despised tax collector in there. We got Simon the Zealot, who's like a religious fanatic uh, in there. And then we got all these women who have been liberated from demons and Jesus. This is an a island of misfit toys uh, of Jewish society walking through these, through these cities and towns, preaching this message that to many was just foreign. And we see that they, the crowds gather around them as Jesus uh, preaches this parable in verse 5. And it's the parable of sowing of the seeds. When a farmer wanted to plant a crop, it was a little bit different in this time from how we would plant a field today. When the time for planting came, they would carry a big old bag of seeds on their shoulder and they would just throw out seeds. And instead of plowing the field beforehand, and then putting seeds in the ground, they would just throw all the seeds out. And wind would carry them kind of wherever, wherever they went. And they'd scatter the seeds, and uh, some would make it on the good soil, and others didn't. And then they would go back after, and they would, they would plow the field after the fact. They would turn the ground upside down, 
and then press the seeds into the earth and hoping for good growth. In this story, Jesus, Jesus says, some of the seed fell on the path, the walkway. It's hard clay. It has no, the seed has no possibility of penetrating the earth. Then some fell on the rock, a, a, a thin layer of, of limestone underneath the soil. And so it would give a little root, but it had nowhere to grow. The roots could not grow. They could not sustain life. And the plow would come through. It couldn't break up the rock. Some fell on the side of the field where brambles, where, where thorn bushes were growing, and they would get choked out by these other growths. And then some would land in the good soil. They'd land where all the nutrients were, and they would multiply exponentially. And Jesus ends this parable with an interesting charge. He says, He who has ears, let him hear. Well, why would he say this? Everyone has ears. As we talked about earlier, not everyone truly hears. Not everyone fully understands. And I'm not just talking about intellectual assent. I'm talking about it penetrating our hearts. And if you're confused this morning about the, these seeds, what do these seeds have to do with anything? Why, why is Jesus giving a farming lesson to these crowds? Don't worry, you are in good company. These disciples who've been following all, all along, they don't have a clue what's going on. We see in verse 9, they ask him what these parables meant. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others, they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, in hearing they may not understand. In Jesus' answer, he gives a quote from the book of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. And in the context of this passage that Jesus is quoting, we find this prophet Isaiah, a prophet who had been sent to God's ethnic people Israel. And it, God had been so faithful to Israel. God had provided for them every step of the way. Abundant mercy, abundant grace, but Israel did not remain faithful to God. They were to be distinct, people set apart, that lived for God, that were full of holiness and zeal for God. But they became just like the rest of the world. They intermingled and worshipped other gods. The religion became external. It was just focusing on checking the box, doing the religious custom. And before, the, before they knew it, they were just doing rituals of men and thinking that they were living for God. Not hearts changed not, not hearts that desired to love God more than themselves, but just doing whatever custom or tradition they could to be right with God. And so centuries of this had gone by. And Isaiah was given the great task of going to this hypocritical people and preaching to them this message. These people had been given so much truth, so much providential care, but even though they see with their own eyes firsthand the miracles of God, even though they hear this truth, they don't understand. This is why Jesus spoke in parables. And this, this seems, this may be a little hard to hear. It's a little controversial, maybe a little 
hard to understand, but in Jesus speaking in parables, there's a twofold purpose. We might always think Jesus is trying to be clear. He's trying to clear up the confusion and, and preach the kingdom of God. But we see it's not always the case. Parables are these, these short moral stories that illustrate a truth. And these parables had a dual purpose. Those who had ears to hear, the parables were given to reveal the hidden things in the kingdom of God. But at the same time, the parables were given to some that, uh, the, while at the same time, people, parables were given to explain and clarify the teachings of Jesus, at other times, they were given to others to hide from them the truth of the gospel. So, if we think about preaching, if we think about the Word of God, it does two things. It blesses and it hardens. So it's life to some and it's death to others. Just think about broadly, if, if the entire population of this city were in this room, hearing this message, all the different reactions that might, that might come into place as the crowds gather. The Word of God hits people differently. Think about it. It's both the fire that melts the ice and the fire at the same time that hardens the clay. Makes the pottery harder. Those who had ears to hear, it was a revelation. It was a gift from God. It was a secret now made known. The mysteries uncovered. They were like old stained glass windows. If you're looking at them from the outside, there's these dirty gray, dingy things. But if you're looking at them from the inside, those within, they see the bright colors. They see the beauty of the sun shining forth. This art, this beautiful work of art. We see Jesus said in the Gospel of John, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. It's the same thought the same about hearing do we really hear do we really see those whose hearts were hard those that do not have ears to hear he hardens them further he says you don't want to hear the god hear the word of god you have hostility towards the things of god these these parables were a form of divine judgment you don't want to hear me i won't let you hear me he gives people over to their sins. He says, let that hardened heart be even more hardened. Let that stiff neck be even more stiff. Beloved, we must think carefully about how we hear. Are our hearts hardened or melted before His Word? There is no neutrality with Christ. In their hearing, the disciples here are our example. They come to Jesus to understand. They go to him. Jesus, tell us what to do. The crowds, they didn't care that much about the understanding piece. They might have said, when's he, when's he going to do miracles? When's he going to overcome Rome? Oh yeah, I can't wait to see the Jewish nation rise up with this guy at the head. and He's going to take it over. It's going to be great. We're going to make... Jew, Judaism great again. It's going to be awesome. Maybe some said, I'm hungry. 
um, I heard, does he whip up some food down the road? Or, or maybe, maybe, better yet, he turned water into wine? Like, maybe we could see one of those and get, to get a free meal. The crowds, they want to be wowed. They want to be entertained. What's he going to do today, Jesus? Come on. Why is he talking about seeds up there? I wish he would preach something relevant to me. I wish he would do something that applies to my situation. The truth is that there can be nothing more relevant for sinful, deceived hearts that are in need of a Savior. Many in the crowd, they don't want Jesus as the Lord of their life. They want Jesus to make their life better. They didn't see their great need for a Savior. <laughs> I'm just taking it back. How relevant is this for our church today? For the church today? The universal church? Every church in America? How often do timeless truths of God get replaced in order to appeal to our shallow appetites? What would draw the crowds? What would keep them happy? What would keep them coming back? That's not what Jesus preaches. In fact, He, he purposely, in His parable, conceals the truth to those that don't want what He's offering. Jesus then explains His parable to the disciples, the eager disciples who were saying, what does this mean? He explains it to them. Now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. So that's our key for the whole thing. The seed is the Word of God. Verse 12. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the Word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the Word, receive it with joy. But those have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for, the, as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of this life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those hearing the Word, Hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. A seed, as we said, is the Word of God. It, it falls along the path. These are the hearts where it does not grow. It doesn't even go down into the soil. Satan snatches the seed away. These are those that leave a conversation or leave a church service after being confronted with truth and reject the Word of God as false. These are those even this morning that may be tuning me out, or when judgment gets brought up, they just dismiss these words of Jesus. Jesus wouldn't do that. These are like the crowds that don't want to follow Jesus unless He suits my desires. Just listen to our natural state apart from Christ. This is what the Bible says in Paul's letter to the Ephesian church. He says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is what God's Word says about our natural condition. that we're following the course of this world. 
that we live for the passions of the flesh. Satan loves to steal and to twist proper teaching. He's at work in this world to deceive. He is great with us worshiping any God we choose as long as it's not the God of the Bible. And he especially delights when we have a God in our own image, a God that we create in our head that's good with the things we're good with and and not so good with the things we're not good with. We do this a lot. It's called idolatry. We make up idols in our head. We, we, we make God in our image. Instead of knowing we are the creative ones made in His. Be careful how you hear. The second seed lands on the rocky soil. Okay? This is received with joy. Oh my goodness. Jesus is real. I'm going to live for Him. And they don't reject this message, but they immediately embrace it. <laughs> yes, but the faith doesn't really take root in their life. It's temporary. It's shallow. And when hard times hit, when the sun comes out, they just kind of fall away. I'm reminded of me that one time I ran a half marathon. There were certain people that saw me around the water break stations playing music. And they thought I was the best runner in the world because I ran so good. But the second I got away from people and no one was watching, I was just huffing, bent over, walking, complaining, texting. But yeah, I don't know what I was. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> it was shallow. I was not, I did not train well for that marathon. But we did have fun. We did have fun. Some people, they know they're guilty. Right? And so they, they hear that they're guilty. They hear they're sinners before a holy God. They hear that Jesus offers forgiveness and salvation. Who wouldn't want that? And so they're dealing with their guilt. and they, Anything to pacify their guilt, they latch on to it. They hear this great gospel. And it's an emotional response. But it's a sugar-high salvation. It doesn't last. It's a response that we see on the surface. The plant grows up, so it looks like a Christian. It looks like the Word has taken root. It's momentary, but it doesn't come from the depths of their soul. When the sun comes up, their faith withers away. When the trials of life come, they walk away from God. It saddens me so much. I think of false conversions in the church. I think of, for those of you, I don't know if you, if you grew up in the church, but I, I went to youth group regularly. I was around 20 to 30 youth that all loved Jesus, apparently. And we all got together once, twice a week. We all praised God. We all heard the Word. We all uh, just went to camp and did all these things. But if you could go back, and if I could see, see right now what all those youth were living for, Just story after story of those who came to Christ in their youth only to fall away. There's people now that don't, aren't living for God. That, the people that reject God altogether that I was side by side praising God's name with in youth group. These false conversions are all too often as we think about 
losing our salvation. We're reminded in 1 John that those that went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be, become plain that they are all not of us. So testing, the trials of life, hardship comes and they fall away. This is not the life Jesus promised me. I'm not signing up for this. It just reveals that they it never made it down into their heart. It's so easy to it's easy for me to sympathize with these people, isn't it? You see why this happens. But my friends, we have no promises that this life will be easy. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus doesn't give us every solution or every make every path. Uh, just pleasant for us. No, He gives us Himself. He gives us Himself to endure the trials of life when the loved one's lost, when, when sorrow hits, when things don't go the way you thought they would turn out. We have Him. We have salvation. We have hope eternal in the good, in the bad, in this life and forever. We are His. He gives us Himself to navigate the trials of life. He doesn't promise that our life will be scrubbed free from trials. In fact, if we are a Christian living for Him, we are promised persecution. We are promised that trials will come as we identify more and more with our great Savior. And then there are those that fell among the thorns the seeds that fell among the thorns. They are those who hear. And they go on their way, but they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. These were seeds that fell on the side of the path. The thorns and brambles were growing up with them, right next to them. And they were choked out. We think about the ways of the world. How we can care too much for it. It's power, it's beauty, it's knowledge, it's technology, it's fashion, all the cool things in the world. The world just keeps producing things for people to get into. Man, there's so many things on YouTube or just in the world that I could just spend hours and days and probably my soul would rot. But there's so many things, so many cool things that even God made for us to get into. But the world never encourages us to get into the Word of God. The world is working against the maturing of our soul, the producing of fruit. We can give our lives to so many fruitless things that will fade, that will burn in judgment, that have no eternal worth. These Christians, they never mature because they're dead. They have no roots. They listen to the other voices, the other plants growing up in their life, these other influences. And they go along with everything else. It's as if they, they, Jesus sits there with the gift of salvation, as if the Word of God wants to be planted. and <laughs> Their hands are already so full of so many other things. They're so full of the delights of this world, the cares of this world that they can't hold anything else. They can't receive the truth. There's this book uh, by Neil Postman, and it's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. 
And this was just a quote from 1985 when he wrote this book. But he says, Today we must look at the city of Las Vegas, Nevada as a metaphor, metaphor for our national character and aspiration. Its symbol, a 30-foot-high cardboard picture of a slot machine and a chorus girl. For Las Vegas is a city entirely devoted to the idea of entertainment, and as such proclaims the spirit of a culture in which all public discourse increasingly takes the form of entertainment. Our politics, religion, news, athletics, education, and commerce have been transformed in congenial adjuncts of show business, largely without protest or even much popular notice. The result is that we are a people on the verge of amusing ourselves to death. That's so not true. That's uh, just how easily entertainment invades our life. And we give our time to it. It's so easy. We're right now, we're fighting against distraction from the world. We're fighting against our flesh. We're fighting against the devil. We listen to the preaching of God's Word and our thought travels to what we're doing after this service. Our thought travels to what we have to get done for work Monday. Let's be careful how we hear. When we think of God's judgment, we talked earlier in the parable how He gives people over to the hardening of their hearts. We read in Romans 1, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Ultimately, God just, His judgment is giving us what we want. The fickle pleasures of this life. What if God gave you over to your desires fully? It's His grace that we desire something more. Something that only He can fulfill in us. And lastly, we see the good soil. They are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. So there's, in this small verse here, there's six things just to pay attention to. They hear it. They hold it fast. They have an honest heart, a good heart. And they bear fruit. And probably most important of all, they do it with patience. Patience. It's a marathon, not a sprint. They're playing the long game. These are the ones, if we look down in our passage, these are the ones that Jesus calls his family. Verses 19 through 21. Jesus gets interrupted. His, his mother's, his mother, not his mother's, his mother and his brothers uh, come up to him while he's preaching to the crowds. And they say, they're like, hey, Jesus, your mom's here. Your brothers are here. And he responds. But he answered them. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. They are those that hear the Word of God. Once again, Jesus put an emphasis on hearing the Word of God. Hearing it in such a way that it envelops our life, that it transforms our life, and that we do it. And that not only that, we grow in our desires to do it. So, how does it come about? How 
do you get the good fruit? I know leaving here, it can be so easy to say, I'm going to try hard never to sin, right? I, I remember those, so many times I tried to white-knuckle this. I tried to, I'm going to observe all the religious rules. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to get on this fast track to holiness. I just love that God in His wisdom, time and time again, He gives us agrarian analogies. You see a lot to do with farming. You see a lot to do with, with seed and growth. This is what this world understood at the time. But can you imagine if we took kind of our impatient work salvation mentality and applied it to farming? It would never work. I'm going to go grow this seed as hard as I can. It's going to be a plant tomorrow. We would be severely disappointed. So, brothers and sisters, it is all grace. All grace. Completely grace. In 1 Corinthians, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through what? Through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. It is the Spirit. It is the work of God in the believer's heart that makes these things evident. It is by grace. And if you are here today and you are a Christian seeking repentance, to walk in repentance, to live a life for Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice that the seed landed on the good soil of your heart, not because it was good in and of itself, but because the Holy Spirit prepared it. This gift of grace. But if we say we have no sin... The truth is not in, in us. But if we confess, His grace is there. Don't say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make sure I'm on the good soil. Trust God. Plea for His grace and mercy. He will give you eyes to see. And it takes some time. He's patient with us. That last line in there, with patience. Bearing fruit with patience. God, God is merciful. God's steadfast love takes care of us. It's patient with us. And we know we are in Christ. The way we know we are in Christ is that we are showing it. You will know them by their fruits. And we see in verses 16 through 18, we're going a little out of order here, but they all have to, they all connect. They all have to do with those that, that hear. Verses 16 through 18, no one after lighting a lamp covers it or with a jar, with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. 
We know we are in Christ because we let our light shine before men. We don't hide it. And as we walk in the light, we will gain more and more in riches of His light. We will be more illuminated to His truth and His mercy. But those who are on the other soils, that think, even what they think they possess, will be taken away from them in darkness. We cannot hide what we have been given. We've been given this light of Christ to display in this dark world. I just ask you this morning, as you think about being a Christian in your place of work, as you, you think about being a Christian in your neighborhood, do those, the people closest to you, do they, do they know you are a Christian? Do those people that you meet, are you letting your light shine? If we want to know where we are, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look at the fruit of our lives. What, what are we producing? And we need to trace it back to the root. Why are we producing that fruit? Is this something in my own works? Am I going around stapling healthy fruit to a dead tree? Or is this God's work in me? Is this I've been saved by grace through faith? Yes, we have a grace-driven effort, things that we do, but we are, bad, we are bad fruit inspectors on our own. As we look at each other's lives, I would just ask you, take, take other people's words into consideration. This is why we need the church. This is why we have community group. This is why we seek accountability from each other, because we have a hard time seeing where we fall short. Other people see the fruit that we produce good or bad, for our good. And I just tell you this morning, don't, don't stare at yourselves. Yes, we, can, we examine ourselves. Yes, we, we look at the way in which we're living and the fruit and tracing it back to the root. But brothers and sisters, I ask you, stare at Jesus. And invite others around. If you don't know where you stand, if you don't know what soil that, that the Word of God has landed on in your heart, Invite others around. Invite people to examine your life. We want to help others to get to heaven. We want them to know and to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. As I think about these soils, it seems discouraging. The odds, you know, the three of them are the bad one. There's only one good one. But the, the parable doesn't end on a discouraging note. It ends with the seed that fell in the good soil. And it came up to yield a crop a hundred times more. A harvest of a hundredfold? This is extraordinary. This is not possible, really. It's, it's evidence of a divine blessing. It's a metaphor for the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. All that Jesus was coming to, to accomplish. It's His power. And like the wonders, power of a seed... It's unexpected in the world. It's not a result of the human activity, but of God's providential power. God is at work, hidden and unremarkable as a seed itself in Jesus. Isn't it beautiful, church, that it is not our labors that are going to hold covenant hope together in the days ahead? And the gospel produces a yield that we can never produce in our own efforts. And the productivity of the soil 
It depends solely on how the, God, the, the Word of God is heard. If we think about it, all those seeds, they were all the same Word of God with the same power to change life. But the difference is how they were heard. And this right hearing is a hearing that leads to faith. And with the right faith, it leads to behavior and works that is consistent with the Word of God. And so this hearing is essential If we hear rightly, we will not fall away when we are tested. We will persevere. We will take up our cross daily and follow Christ. We need to tune our ear to God's Word. There's a work that must be done for us to hear. We we must train ourselves to have an appetite for it. There's a war being fought on the soil of every human heart. We're to keep our heart, Proverbs tells us, to keep our heart with all diligence. For from it flow the springs of life. Think about what you put into your life. What do you bring in? What are your influences? Where are you being steered towards? We receive the Word of God for what it is truly. It's the very Word of God. We don't receive it to justify ourselves. We don't, we don't cut out the difficult parts we don't like. We don't pick and choose what we believe or we, we will receive. And, and uh, we, we instead receive it all with a good heart and with an intention to do good and to believe what God teaches. To conform our lives to His. We see our sin for what it is. We forsake it. and We put all our hope and trust in our Savior who lived the life we can never live who died the death we deserve, but overcame death and victoriously defeated the darkness. It's in His power that we let our light shine before men. It's in His power that our sins are washed away. That we can walk now clothed in His righteousness. How does your heart hear this message this morning? We, we let patience have its perfect work in our lives. And the beauty is, I know as we contemplate our salvation, as we contemplate our standing before God, I know there are tender consciences in this room. just want to assure you that if that seed landed on the good soil, nothing can snatch them out of His hand. A true believer will never lose their salvation. We may backslide. We may engage in serious falls, but never a full and final fall. It's, it's as if, it's, we say it like this, uh, if you have it, you never lose it. But if you lose it, you never had it. That's the paradox in this situation. That's the paradox of salvation. Bible tells us, that whom the Lord redeems, He perseveres. He gives them the seal and guarantee of the Holy Spirit. In Philippians, this verse has just been a, a verse that I recount in my heart time and time again, day after day. Philippians 1.6 And I am sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That, if He has planted that seed of His Word in that good soil, He will complete it. He will bring it to completion. Not you. Not your feeble efforts. (laughs) Anybody can say they believe. Anyone can have hearts tingle for a moment. 
But real conversion will turn our life upside down. Real conversion will have our eyes looking to Him. We'll have our hearts dependent upon His grace in our lives, knowing that it is not us, but Him. Times, as we think about our conversion, a lot of times we go back to questions of, hey, when was I converted? That was a big deal. That was made a huge deal in my life at one time. A pastor told me one time, if you don't know when you're saved, that's a problem. You've got you to figure that out. I had no clue. It's kind of like falling in love. Like, what day did that happen? I don't know. I don't know. That's not the point. The question is, are you converted now? Maybe one day you answered an altar call. Maybe one day you raised your hand. Maybe one day you prayed the sinner's prayer. Those things are not what saves you. Is the Holy Spirit dwelling in your heart? Has your life been changed by the regenerating grace of God in the Spirit? The only test for that is the fruit that you bear. You will know them by your fruit. Like the seed that fell on the stone, there are those that that take root that grow up, so we need to search our hearts. We need to make our calling and election sure. We do not want to be deceived. From the good soil that has been changed by God, the Holy Spirit, <laughs> He prepares it, He tills it, He makes it fertile. It's something we cannot do for ourselves. When we hear the Word of God, when the Spirit has prepared that fertile heart, that good soil. We love the Word. We embrace the Word. It brings forth the fruit of conversion, the fruit of real salvation. And this growth in us will be in abundance. It will be hundredfold, more than we can ever imagine. So as we close, as we contemplate uh, this parable of the soils, the different reactions, the different reactions of the crowd, that what's happening underneath, what's happening in the hearts of men as these seeds go forth, as the Word of God goes forth. We can have full assurance that those that land on the good soil will bear fruit with patience, and He can do far more than we ever can. And if you're here today and you question whether or not I'm, you're a true believer or you fear that you may fall away, Lean in to His truth. Lean in to His church. We need each other. Those that are Jesus' brother and mother are those that hear this Word and do it. So brothers and sisters, let's be careful that we hear. Let's pray.